Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. I hate this book, but I love my show. So I'm kind of stuck in a paradox where I don't want to read the book, but I really love doing my show. So, oh, y'all aren't giving me enough reviews for this. Chapter 9. Nighttime was torture for Alani. Daytime was torture for Derek, because that's when he had to read this book. It used to be the hours of the day that she looked forward to the most. She could come home after a long day of work and retreat to her dreams. Since the murders, she hadn't slept. Each time she closed her eyes, all she saw was blood. So instead, she wrote in her journal for hours, trying to release some of the angst that gripped her heart. There was a tenderness inside her chest now. She had felt it at work the night her daughter and brother had been murdered. It hit her out of nowhere and had been present ever since. Beneath the excruciating loss was a dull ache that she was sure would remain with her for the rest of her life. It made her feel like every room she walked into was too small. It sucked the air from her lungs and the strength from her legs. While losing her brother hurt, losing her daughter was devastating. Her brother was a loss. Her daughter was a piece of her flesh cut away from the bone, without anesthesia. It was her oxygen reduced for the rest of her life. So, instead of breathing, she was sipping air through a straw, existing minimally with what was left after grief chewed her up and spit her out. I'm pausing right now because, yeah, I can definitely see how um, you would feel completely and totally devastated after the loss of both your daughter and your brother but you pushed all that aside when you know ethic wanted to take you and his kids to the movie and y'all had a great time and you're just skipping and oh let me show you how to get snacks for the kids big daddy like all of a sudden you're just normal like no dude i'm grieving like, I don't have to smile, but because it's ethic and this is the love interest is going to build, it's going to be okay. Like, she's going to push through it and find strength in his, in his heart and in his growth and all that. And also, the fact that, once again, the storyline is being built on the back of a black woman being abused by a black man. And no, she wasn't abused by the black man, but he literally ripped her daughter and her brother out of her life. If that's not abuse, I don't know what is. Is so, so par for the course. 
The darkness of night was personified into a monster that she couldn't slay. She was terrified of the nightmares that awaited her when she slept. Therefore, coffee and her journal made for great company. The hours ticked by, slowly, each minute seeming to last longer than the one before it. There was so much on her shoulders that she felt that she would collapse, and she knew that there was only more stress to come. She still had to deliver the news to her daughter's father, and she dreaded it. What? They weren't on speaking terms. In fact, she hadn't spoken to him in six months. After she found out, he had another girl visiting him in prison. Yes, she was that girl, the one who had fallen in love with Cream Richardson. Cream? Cream Richardson, not Kareem. I don't want y'all to think my accent is getting in the way of anything, in case you think I have an accent. And if you do, go fuck yourself. But still, Cream. C-R-E-A-M. Cream. I remember I made a character... <laughs> For a video game. It was for a basketball game because, you know, people who can't play create characters. And people who can play create characters. And people who can do both coach. So I created a character and his name was Kareem. Not Cream, but Kareem. And the last name was Oweet. So his name was Cream Oweet. Yeah. He stuck to people on defense. Um, anyhow, Cream Richardson, a bad boy with a long reputation and an even longer dick. The first time she took it for a ride, he had her hooked. That was a decade ago and she had stuck with him for years. She had poured her all into him, dropping out of college to cook up the ounces of coke he moved. Really? Really? This is... Still finding our place in men. I know there's a guy out there hate listening to my show. Like he's still talking about the fucking men, but they write them like this. Like it's not the men aren't real in these books. You realize that right listener? Like it's the people who write the books who make the men like this. (sighs) So I'm really getting on the writer for making the men this transparent. And horrible, transparently horrible. Consistently, too. She had poured her all into him, dropping out of college to cook up the ounces of cocaine he moved weekly. I mean, you're dropping out of college for this dude so you could cook up crack and lay under him all day. <sighs> she cooked his meals, washed his clothes, sucked him dry, day in and day out. It was a type of relationship that kept young girls satisfied. But at the time, she was fresh. And he had her nose wide open. The thug in him was just enough to keep her excited and satisfied. He was five years her senior and old enough to make her young mind swoon. She became exactly what he wanted her to be, stifling her dreams of college to make sure they stayed close. He disguised her captivity under the notion of loyalty, and she was a willing participant. But it ended the way all hood loves end. He betrayed her. When Alani found out she was pregnant, the idea of a baby complicated things. Motherhood transformed her into the nagging baby mama who demanded things, who needed things, who accepted less of his bullshit. Yeah, because that's what a baby does. That's that's exactly what a baby does to people. They make them into nags. Just, ah. With the newborn baby on her hip, Alani became less fun, less impulsive, less reckless. She couldn't be young and carefree because becoming a mother was like taking an aging pill, and she immediately grew up. She wanted stability and a real family for their daughter. 
When she began to put expectations of maturation on Cream, the cheating began. She ignored her for years, but when he got locked up for carrying a concealed weapon, it became harder for him to balance his plethora of women. What do you mean years? Nigga, the daughter was three. So, she got pregnant, they broke up, and he started cheating, or she got pregnant, and he started cheating immediately, and then went to jail. How long has he been? I'm sure they're going to say how long he's been in jail, right? Okay. Because they said that she ignored the cheating for years. Like, years. When the daughter's only three, so I'm, I'm the confused. Stupid ass had me driving hours every other week to make sure I saw his face, only to find out I was one of many chicks in his rotation, she thought. She was angry at him, not only for his disloyalty, but for his absence in his totality. What? She was angry at him, not only for his disloyalty, but for his absence in its totality. Oh, okay. For his complete and total absence from the relationship, I guess. She couldn't help but to think if he had never gotten arrested, their daughter may still be alive. Maybe he could have stopped Lucas from getting so heavily involved in the streets. Or he could have protected their home from the masked man who entered it and changed her life forever. She knew it was unfair to blame Cream for things that were out of his control. But somehow, she had been left to handle it all. They hadn't spoken in over six months. After a random girl popped up to her home carrying a baby she claimed Cream had fathered, Alani was done. She had stopped forcing her raggedy car up the highway to visit him. She had stopped answering his calls. She had stopped writing him letters. After years of holding on to him, of fighting off chicks around the way, of being known as his girl in their neighborhood, which wasn't a good thing anyway because the same way she was known as his girl, he was known to be a cheat. After all that, she simply let go. When he called, she gave the phone directly to Kinsey. He would be calling tomorrow, and she would have no choice but to speak to him, because he would never hear Kinsey's voice again. The anxiety built in her chest as she realized she would have to be the one to tell him. No matter how much disdain she had in her heart for him, she never wanted to put this type of pain on him. She had loved him once upon a time, and despite his doggish ways, she was sure he loved her. She was going to break his heart when he realized his flesh and blood was no more. When he realized the connection they shared had been stripped and now there were just two people who knew each other once upon a time. This news would break him. She knew this would be true because it had decimated her. It had torn down every fiber of the woman she had built over the years. Scraped away faith she had adopted on her journey to this day. The death of her daughter had changed her relationship with God, and she was sure it would bring out the devil in cream, especially when Ethic answers the phone. Your daughter dead, nigga, I did it. Don't tell your wife, or don't tell your ex. She knew the sun was close to rising, and she heard her nanny's footsteps coming down the stairs. She cooked breakfast every morning. Grits, eggs, turkey, ham, and toast. She had been doing it for as long as Alani could remember. The familiarity of it somehow comforted her. Comforted? I say comforted. Like, y'all go fuck yourselves. The smell of that breakfast was a symbol of the most consistent love she had ever had. Where her own mother had failed, Nanny had picked up that slack, mothering her, taking her in, teaching her how to survive. She had grown tired of eating the same thing every day over the years, but on a day like today, when everything else around her was changing, that same old, same old was just what she needed. She climbed down the stairs, her red eyes telling the secret of the midnight tears she had cried. 
Good morning. Her greeting was weak, lacking life, a purpose, and Nanny turned from the stove to stare at her niece. It might not feel so good, but the Lord is walking with you, baby. You can't feel anything right now, I know. But trust me when I tell you that the only thing pulling you out of the bed right now is Jesus. He's carrying you. He'll carry you through it all. Alani closed her eyes and took a deep breath. Preaching wouldn't remove the invisible knife lodged in her chest. God had let this happen. How could she turn to spirituality for comfort? I have to tell Cream today, she whispered, as Nanny set a plate of hot food in front of her. Wait. Earlier, it said he would be calling tomorrow, and she would have no choice but to speak to him. Was that the night before? Nighttime search for Alani. I guess so. I, I guess. I don't know. This is just... Uh, he can't hear from anybody but you. Same way your soul lived inside of Kenzie, his did as well. It's the one thing that boy did right in the world, Nanny said. Maybe his family will help with the expenses. What family? None of them made any effort to help with Kenzie when Cream got locked up three years ago. They barely came around when he was out. I can almost guarantee that the help I need won't come from anybody on his side, Alani said. It's on me. We can reach out to the pastor down at the church. We'll come up with the money, baby. I promise, Nanny said. She stood, her old rickety legs shaking under the weight of her roundness as she hobbled over to the hall closet. She pulled out a white dress. I made it for Kenzie to wear at her surface. Alani's eyes failed her as tears flooded them. It's beautiful. Thank you. A horn blew outside and Nanny said, that's Mr. Larry. I'm going on down to the church for choir rehearsal. When I see pastor, I'll talk to him about the church helping cover the funeral calls. God gonna make a way. Yeah, see, what's gonna happen is that pastor gonna be like, see the way my bank account is set up? You gonna wanna try the church down the street. We are uh, Holy God's Paycheck Church in Christ Kojic. Church of God in Christ is Kojic. I remember that now. It's, it's just weird. We are Holy God's Paycheck all about the bank cream in heaven flows down upon us rain down on me with golden prayers and tears kojic alani offered a nod as she wiped her tears with the back of her hands she didn't move from that spot she sat there until the coffee in her cup ran cold just staring at the phone and wringing her fingers at 8.05 a.m he called just like she knew he would just like he had done every week for the past two years so does he have a set appointment? Like, does he let niggas know y'all ain't going to be up on this phone at 8.05? That's the time I talk to my daughter. Is he running the block? Like, does he have that type of juice? He has that type of cream, I guess. It was a time that she would normally be getting Kenzie dressed for school. She let it ring twice, needing more time to figure out what she would say before she answered. This is a call from the Michigan Department of Corrections. Alani's mind spun as an automated voice spoke in her ear. How do I tell him this, she thought. He's going to blame me. This is my fault. I should have been home with her. He's going to, he probably will blame you because that's the type of person that this book has built him up to be. Bile built up in the back of her throat. Hey, baby girl, daddy missed you so much. 
Alani's tears fell because she knew it was the last time he would ever say those words. It's me, Cream, she managed, the frog in her throat causing her words to come out deep and full of emotion. Hey, La, he said, his voice full of surprise, almost hopeful, and she hated herself for filling him with optimism. It's good to hear your voice. Daddy missed you, too. You know that, right? You know I'm sorry for how... Something's happened, she interrupted. Kinsey's... Kinsey what? Cream asked, his voice now anxious and concerned. She's gone. She was shot. The words ran out of her mouth in a crescendo of panic. Don't say that to me, La. This ain't funny. Don't say shit like that. There was anger in his voice, but underneath it, she heard fear. He knew her well enough to know she wouldn't play about something like that. Someone ran in the house looking for Lucas, she shouted between her cries. She gripped the phone so tightly that her fingertips were numb. She was here with him. They shot her, she wailed. She slid her back against the wall until her butt met the floor. Pulling her knees to her body, she buried her head into her. My baby's gone! Alani had never heard Cream cry in all the years she had known him, but the sound he made on the other end of the phone was nothing short of sobbing. Where were you? Cream asked. Where was I? You knew this question was coming. Where was I? She asked, her chest igniting with rage. Where were you? She shouted. I was at work. Trying to make sure she had food in her stomach and warm clothes on her back. I couldn't be everywhere at once. I just needed a little help. Alani cried. She was melting down, her shoulders shaking as she cried into the phone. Lucas was supposed to watch her. This is all my fault. I should have been there. Like what? Her admission of guilt was so heavy to cream back down. It's not your fault, La, he said as he sniffed and cleared his throat. <clears> throat> She could hear him trying to keep his composure. I swear to God, I'm going to murder the niggas responsible for this shit. It's over for niggas. That means Cream's about to get out of jail. Just in time to meet her new boyfriend, Ethic. And then just in time to find out that he's the one who killed Kenzie. Because that's the girl's name, I guess. We're doing this now. He was riding waves of emotion, going from rage to sadness in seconds as he tried to process this. He had called... To say, I love you, not to hear this. Now, he wished he could rewind time to moments before he hadn't known, when his world hadn't been rocked by the news that his brain couldn't process. It made no sense. In what land did little girls die behind some street beef? In the land of Flint, Michigan. It happened every day, B. But Cream had never thought it would happen to him. Niggas are about to bury their moms, their kids, their fucking baby moms. Whoever had anything to do with this is going to feel me. You have one minute left. <laughs> I'm sorry. You have one minute left. The automated operator that placed him on a countdown. Like the operator's listening. I know it's automated. Shut up. I know. When's the funeral, Cream asked. I don't know. I can't afford. I don't have insurance. She's laying on a cold slab waiting on me, Cream. And I don't have the money to bury her, Alani whispered. I'll see what I can do, La. Alani sighed because she knew he wouldn't come through. He had been seeing what he could do for two and a half years, and so far he hadn't done shit. She knew now was the one time she couldn't chastise him because she couldn't do a damn thing either. Somewhere along the way, the two of them had failed his parents. I'm so sorry. I love you. I do. Come see about me, Law. I need to see you after some shit like this, click. Their time was up, and Alani closed her eyes, feeling even more hopeless than before. 
chapter 10. Good. Maybe we're getting the short chapters again like they used to do in the cartel. And I could just blaze through the rest of this shit because seriously. Chapter 10. Ethic walked into the funeral home and he could smell the stench of death in the air. It was a distinct odor. One that reminded him that his time on this earth was borrowed. One day, he would have to pay it back. He only prayed it was no time soon. A woman greeted him, her eyes friendly as she said, Good morning. How can I help you? Ethic removed a sealed envelope and placed it on the countertop in front of her. Alani Hill is a client of yours. Her daughter and her brother are awaiting burial here, he began. Yes, sir, but what is this? The woman asked. It's $30,000. It should cover the expense for both funerals, he replied. I'd like to donate it anonymously. Oh, my Lord, the woman exclaimed as she placed a hand over her mouth in surprise. Tears came to the woman's eyes. You have no idea what a blessing you'll be to this young woman. She's been in here crying her eyes out, thinking she would not be able to pull this off. You're an angel, young man. I wish that were so, Ethic answered. Just make sure she gets this. God bless you, the woman said, emotional. He turned his back and walked out of the establishment, knowing that her words couldn't be farther from the truth. He was nobody's blessing. He was Alani's curse, and this money didn't erase that. Morgan flipped through the pictures on her phone frantically as her heart filled with jealousy. This bitch is with Messiah now, she thought, as she scoured through Nietzsche's social media page to see the evidence of disloyalty right before her eyes. Morgan's chest burned with the scorn so great it made tears come to her eyes. Nietzsche was her girl, her ace, the only person who ever friended her, despite her disability. Yeah, what it seems like is Nietzsche is Fairweather. And befriended you out of necessity? I don't know. Like, y'all have been friends since elementary school, so I don't really know. But they wrote Nisha out to be a pretty awful friend and a pretty horrible person. So there's that. And then tried to pass it off as she's young. But young folks don't always do that to each other. Young folks ain't cutthroat like that all the time. Like, come on. Since they had been in elementary school, Nisha had been by her side. She knew I was feeling him, Morgan thought bitterly. It was just another loss the poor little deaf girl had to take. A man like Messiah could never truly want her. He would never choose her over a regular girl like Niche, no matter how beautiful she was. Morgan felt like an abnormality, and her chest swelled with angst as she realized she would never be a man's choice. Being deaf made people pity her. She walked around in a constant state of misunderstanding, desperately wishing she could connect to someone, anyone, she had found that connection with Messiah. He had felt her, despite the silence that existed between them. Is this going to be the only thing that y'all talk about for Morgan's segments of this book? Like, she doesn't have a life outside of Messiah. Like, nothing like that. Like, she's going to end up getting the cochlear implants because of her sadness over Messiah and all that kind of stuff. Is this what you wrote her for? For teenage girl date drama? Like, nothing more? Like, she's literally... Got so much more that y'all could write about her. Just the um, the things that she goes through as a person who is living in the hearing community but is deaf. Like there's so much more that you could be doing with her, but y'all are going the lazy route. <sighs> he had felt her despite the silence that existed between them. He had found the rhythm of her heartbeat and she thought it meant something. Nobody will ever want me like this, she thought. She didn't know whom she was angrier with, Nish or Messiah. Seeing them together burned like betrayal. 
Nietzsche was her best friend. They hadn't spoken since she had been raped at the motel. Oh, that's even more fucked up. She didn't check on you at all. Like, not even a little bit. Just immediately went and... Yeah, y'all making these teenagers out to be the worst. Morgan had kept her distance, feeling like Nisha left her there, vulnerable and afraid. Now this. Morgan had wanted to give her friend the benefit of the doubt, but she was lacking benefit and full-on doubt. Morgan wanted to blame Nisha's actions that night on the drugs and alcohol. Perhaps Nisha had been just so afraid and had been too intimidated to stop Lucas and his friend. That's what Morgan had tried to tell herself, but in the back of her mind, she knew. Nish was a jealous bitch. Oh, and don't forget, we still don't know who this random friend is, so he can pop up at any moment at Alani's house and be like, yo, where's Lucas? Oh, we probably know who shot him because this girl was affiliated with this guy. Yeah. Nish was a jealous bitch. Seeing her in pictures with Messiah confirmed it. Nish was shady, and Morgan was finally seeing the light. No, Messiah wasn't Morgan's man, but based on principle alone, Nisha should have steered clear of him. Morgan reached for the medical paperwork on her nightstand as she scoured over the details. They had been sitting there, collecting dust, because Morgan was afraid. Afraid to be like everybody else. Afraid it would hurt. Afraid to get her hopes up only to have the procedure fail. Morgan had been deaf all her life. She didn't know how the world would be once she could hear. But after losing Messiah, she no longer wanted to be who she was. Experimental or not, Morgan was ready to take the risk. She wanted to tell herself that her decision had nothing to do with Messiah. He was just a guy, and she was smarter than to make such a drastic choice based on the likes of someone else. Right? Wrong. Morgan was doing exactly that. She just wanted to be someone Messiah could love. Someone less complicated, less unique, less handicapped. Morgan craved regularity despite that she was anything but. Morgan pressed the heart underneath Nisha's photograph, letting it be known that she had seen it. Like clockwork, Nisha's name appeared on her screen. You couldn't be bothered to reach out after you left me at the hotel, but you text me now, Morgan thought. A guilty conscience will reveal itself in time. Bestie. Hey, boo. I have so much to catch you up on. My bad about being MIA. Shit's been crazy. Morgan rolled her eyes as her fingers went to work at a rapid response. Morgan, yeah, I see you've been busy. You and Messiah? Side eye. There was a long pause as Morgan waited for Nisha's response. The text bubbles on her iPhone screen kept appearing and disappearing as Morgan smirked. Dirty bitch, Morgan thought, knowing that Nisha was fishing for an explanation. Bestie. I know. I've been meaning to tell you. It's crazy. We always said we was going to snag us some legit niggas. His homeboy been asking about you too. I hope you're not feeling a way about us. I know you used to have a little crush on him, but that's little girl shit. We grown women now. You my girl. I don't want no little shit come between us. Morgan was livid. She knew Nietzsche was trying to downplay her treachery by belittling Morgan's affection for Messiah. Or am I overreacting? He wasn't my man. I never even told her about spending time with him at the falls, and I haven't seen her since the motel. She knew I liked him, but who doesn't like him? Every girl in the city had him on her radar, she thought. Morgan was jealous and angry, but she wasn't entirely sure she had the right to be. So, instead of starting conflict, she conceded. Morgan, I'm good. Messiah ain't my issue with you. What happened to you that night? Those niggas did me dirty and you just disappeared. Bessie. 
I'm so sorry, girl. I honestly didn't think it was that big of a deal. I was high as hell and just out of it. I wasn't thinking straight. Let's link up. Have lunch. I miss you, and I want to make it up to you for leaving you by yourself that night. Meet me at the hibachi spot in half an hour. Morgan sighed. She wanted to see Niche face to face to look her in her eyes to see if she could sense bullshit or sincerity. Morgan snatched up her handbag and car keys before rushing down the stairs and out the door. A part of her wanted to declare war on her best friend, but she knew she couldn't. If Messiah had chosen Niche, who was Morgan to hate? Sitting in the five-star hibachi spot. Is there such thing as a five-star hibachi spot? Sorry, Morgan's leg bounced impatiently. It had taken her a half an hour to get to the restaurant, so Niche should have beaten her there. The tardiness added insult to injury. Niche was over an hour late and Morgan was beyond perturbed. Just as she reached for her handbag and arose from her seat, Niche came strolling into the restaurant with Messiah behind her. <laughs> his head was down as his fingers moved swiftly across his phone screen. Morgan's heart sank like the Titanic. He was here with Niche in all his Versace wearing, freshly twisted locks having glory and Morgan was mortified. When he lifted his eyes, he saw surprise flashing him, briefly. Her presence was unexpected, she could tell. He quickly erased the emotion from his face and took a seat. Morgan only sat because her legs were no longer strong enough to hold her up. So sorry we're late, Niche signed. Niche was beaming. Messiah had bossed her all the way up. Her normal H&M threads were replaced with labels of her own. Her hair and makeup were professionally done, causing Morgan to wish she had taken the time to perfect herself before leaving the house. Nisha come to stunt on her, and Morgan was burning with jealousy. She had no emotion about the things Messiah bought Nisha. It was a time he gave her that made Morgan sick. Morgan's stomach was in turmoil as she gave Nisha a half-hearted smile. Her eyes stung with tears, and she avoided looking at Messiah altogether. I'm sorry too, Morgan signed. I actually have to go. I thought this was going to be a quick lunch. I promised Ethic I'd pick Easy and Bella up from school. She had no shame in lying, because if she sat there too long, the levee that contained her tears would break. The last thing she needed was to embarrass herself yet again in front of Messiah. She wouldn't give either of them the satisfaction of seeing her cry. I'll text you later. She got up and snatched her purse out of the seat next to her before storming out of the restaurant. It took everything in Messiah not to go after Morgan. This was his purpose of having Nisha around in the first place. Making Morgan hate him would stop them from crossing the dangerous line with one another. He hadn't intended on throwing it in Morgan's face. He wasn't even feeling Nisha put claims on her. He upgraded her because he couldn't have a chick of her stature even speaking his name. He let her take her social media flicks and imply they were together because he intended to turn Morgan off. Meanwhile, his page was drive any female. Most of the time, they never saw the outside of his trap house, but today, she had planned to be starving and convinced him to take her to lunch. Yo, get your ass up, Messiah said as he stood. We aren't eating, Nisha asked. Nah, fuck that. You want some goofy shit right now, Messiah chastised as he walked out. Seeing how his presence had affected Morgan and put him in a sour mood. He wasn't trying to embarrass her, only deter her interest so that he could respect ethics wishes. Morgan sat outside Bella in Easy's elementary school. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about it. 
I'm not because that goes all the way back to what I was saying before about how their whole life revolves around him and revolves around one another's drama. Like, I don't like that. I need more growth out of this one person. This is the one person I'm actually interested in in this book. And it's nothing. Morgan sat outside Bella in Easy's Elementary School, watching as the kids ran across the front lawn, their voices carrying through the air as they stretched their legs after sitting in the classroom all day. Her solemn mood was instantly lifted when she saw Bella walking with her hand clasping Easy's as they approached the car. It reminded her of her sister, Raven. She once had a big sister to hold her hand too, a long time ago. Mo money, Easy shouted when he saw her, letting Bella go, only to rush into Morgan's arms. Hey, Mo, I thought Lily was picking us up, Bella signed. I gave her a break today, Morgan signed back. Morgan and Bella had always been close, since the very first day they had met. Their sisterhood was phenomenal. They had each craved a feminine alliance in their lives. Motherless girls, they needed someone they could trust, and they found that in each other. Morgan was sure that no one loved her more than Bella. Bella and Easy were the only people in the world who didn't look at her through sympathy-filled eyes. Can we rock out at the mall? Bella asked. Her sign language was effortless at this point. Easy's too. They lived in a bilingual household, and while other people saw it as a handicap, Easy and Bella always saw it as a superpower. It was like they spoke in a code that very few could understand. Not today, B. I want to ask you guys something, Morgan signed. What's wrong? Bella asked. Morgan eased her worries. Nothing's wrong. I just need your opinion. What do you think about me getting a surgery to restore my hearing? Do you think it'll make me normal? But you're already normal, Easy cut in. Morgan smiled because she knew he meant it. Thanks, Easy, Morgan signed. You're the best, you know that? He smiled and quickly removed his iPad from his backpack. It was just that easy of a decision to him. She was more money, his aunt, but more like a sister. He loved her without alteration. She wished she could see herself through his eyes. He zoned out as Morgan turned to Bella. He's right, you know, Bella signed. You're already normal, Mo. You don't have to fix yourself because nothing's broken. You're the coolest chick I know. I wish my dad looked at me the way he looks at you. You could do no wrong. Morgan gave a weak smile. Validation from them wasn't enough to make her feel secure. They were only kids, and although Bella was starting to grow up, she was biased. They were her family and couldn't see the flaws that the world would magnify. I thought you liked the fact that you could block out the world, Bella signed. Now, I just want to be a part of it, Morgan signed back, kind of like Ariel. She started the car and put her hand on the gear shift. She felt Bella's hand on top of hers and she looked up at her. I love you. We all do, Bella said. I know, Morgan signed back. She placed her hand over her heart and gave Bella a wink before pulling off. She had an important decision to make. She wanted to believe that she was motivated by the right decisions by the right reasons, but only one reason came to mind. Messiah. This was about a boy. This was about her best friend getting the guy, not because she was cuter or smarter or better, but because she could hear. Not really. Like, I wish Ethic would communicate with Morgan, this is what I did. This is what I said to him. Like, you talk to her about all this other stuff, talk to her about this. For once in her life, she wanted someone to not only be fascinated by her, but to choose her. She headed straight to Ethics Shop. 
She knew she would find him there, under the hood of a car, putting in work for no reason because he didn't need the money at all. He had gone into the shop every day since her rape, and she felt like he couldn't even look her in the eyes anymore. When they arrived, she hopped out of the car, taking the brochures for the procedure out of her hobo bag, rushing into the shop with Bella and Easy in tow. Daddy, Easy yelled in excitement as soon as he saw Ethic leaning over the engine of the old school Buick. Ethic's brow was bent in focus and instantly relaxed when he looked up and saw his baby boy. Every time he saw Easy's face, he thought of Raven and his heart healed momentarily only to break all over again at the fact that she was gone. Easy had been the thing that kept him breathing after her death, but he was also the thing that haunted him the most. Raven Atkins lived through her son, that much he was sure of. Easy barreled into him, hugging him so hard that Ethic stumbled backwards from the impact. What are you doing here, big man? How was cool? Ethic asked. Good, Easy shouted as he ran by his father and ran into the lobby where the arcade game was sitting vacant. Ethic chuckled and shook his head as he saw Morgan and Bella approaching. They were too cool to run to him. Like the princesses they are, they made him wait, strolling slowly until they stood before him. Ethic kissed their foreheads. To what do I owe this visit, Ethic signed. How much is it going to cost me? Morgan turned to Bella. Can you go keep an eye on Easy while I talk to Ethic? Bella nodded and did as she was told. Ethic nodded. This was serious. He could tell by the weary look on Morgan's face. I want the surgery, Morgan signed. Ethic grabbed the towel and wiped the oil from his hands as he gave her his full attention. You're sure? You've thought about this, he asked. I have, and I'm positive, she answered. She looked at her hands. I'm tired of these being my voice. I just want to speak my mind like everybody else, Morgan signed. Ethic nodded and released a heavy sigh. <sighs> I'll call and make the appointment tomorrow morning, he signed. He noticed the tears that gathered in her eyes and pulled her in for an embrace. Kissing the top of her head, he sighed. Morgan had insecurities that he didn't know how to eradicate. He had given her the love a father would for his daughter, and still, it didn't seem to be enough. He only hoped that this would be the thing to top off her confidence and get her to realize she was enough. She was the last of a legendary tribe and that made her special. Hearing her death, she was a marvelous soul, but if this is what she wanted, he would give it to her because he couldn't deny her of anything. Look, what I just took from that was that the thing that made her special in his eyes wasn't her. It was her bloodline. It was her family, which isn't her. That's like saying the thing that makes this pizza pepperoni special is it's the last one on this pizza. That doesn't make it special. It just makes it part of a batch. So, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that line. Chapter 11. Alani wasn't one to beg, but as she sat in the front row of the church, she knew she had no choice but to accept the donation from the congregation. You mean the, the funeral home never called her to say, hey, it's all taken care of, ma. We did this. An anonymous person came through and did this. She was appreciative of their generosity. They barely knew her. Does the church take a percentage of that donation? Hmm. They barely knew her. They saw her face on Easter and New Year's Eve. The rest of the year, she was missing in action. She doubted if anyone in the pews even remembered her name. 
That's how inactive she was. She watched the members rise from their seats to donate to the basket sitting next to her daughter and brother's pictures. It made her feel so loved. She had never understood the purpose of church. She believed her relationship with God was personal, that she could be spiritual without subscribing to the expectations the man put on religion. But seeing the support she was receiving made her understand the purpose of the church. They're treating me like family. Some of them can't keep a roof over their own heads and they're giving to me so freely, she thought, wiping the tears from her face. She was so overwhelmed that all she could do was grip Nanny's hand. Church family, give from your heart. This young mother must bury her brother, bury her dear daughter. Let's wrap our arms around her, Mount Pisgah. Let's lift her up. Let's renew her spirit and let her know that in this darkest time, the devil will not win. Give from your heart, church. So let me tell y'all something about black pastors, pastors in general. I know it's not just black pastors, but that's all I know is black pastors. It's not racist. It's just, I don't like going to white churches. I mean, I do now, knowing that y'all's church is like 15 fucking minutes long, but still past that, like, I, I don't, y'all don't clap on beat. Y'all, y'all don't, y'all don't, y'all don't do it right. But. Pastors, I saw a black pastor come to a funeral for a kid that he didn't even know. He was just getting paid, so he was just talking. Came to a funeral for a kid he didn't know that died in a uh, gang shooting. Coming home from the club, he got killed. Wasn't his fault. He was a good kid. He was my cousin. Pastor went up there and yelled at this kid's friends about how they were uh, killing their mothers and killing their families because of this gang violence. He wasn't even, he wasn't even shooting. He just got shot. Um, killing the future and killing the hope for a generation because of gang violence. And then he turned and he preached for three hours because you know, when you're at a funeral and you're preaching, that gives, or when you're officiating a, a funeral, that gives you a captive audience who don't go to your church yet, but might come. So I figured a funeral for, for pastors is like the Super Bowl. And Christmas and Easter are like WrestleMania. I can't miss events for some people. But the Super Bowl, everybody watches that. So a funeral is like a Super Bowl because everybody who's there ain't missing it. Which is another reason why I don't go to funerals. So there's that. Alani's chest heaved. She was crying so hard. She was so sick of crying, so damn exhausted from wailing every day, all day. Why can't I just stop, she thought. The wails just kept coming from the pits of her, from the bottom of her that she didn't know could carry hurt. That shit was spilling out of her. Nobody but a mother who had lost a child could relate. Really? Are you sure about that? I mean, I'm not going to say, are you certain about that? But are you sure about that? Only a mother who had lost a child? Because there's guardians. I'm, you thought I was going to say fathers. But there's guardians who didn't carry the child who could definitely relate. There's people who adopt children who could definitely relate. And yes, there are fathers who can definitely relate. So this, this is the second time she said something reductive about parenting. And boiled it down to only being something a mother burden, a mother could burden. And that's not true. Stop doing that. It's lazy. She had ripped herself open to give birth to that baby girl. And she had been robbed of a lifetime of unconditional love. Really? 
That's what you wanted was just unconditional love. You were robbed of the opportunity to see growth in this child. You were robbed of the opportunity to help shepherd another person through this world. But okay, whatever. You know, that's what mothers do. They, 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 all they want is a lifetime of unconditional love. Well, guess what? I don't love my dad. I know people who don't love their mothers. It don't always work that way. Go figure. She was not only shattered, she was mad as fucking hell. She wanted justice. What type of monster could kill a kid? She thought, I bet she's going to see ethic by the end of this chapter. We have a representative from the funeral home who would like to say a few words to the pastor announced. Wait, I said that wrong. <clears throat> we have a representative from the funeral home who would like to say a few words. Hallelujah. The pastor announced. Alani looked up to see Mr. Masters walking down the aisle. He took the mic and looked at her. Mrs. Hill, we at Masters Funeral Home would like to extend our deepest condolences. We are so very sorry for your loss. A generous benefactor anonymously donated $30,000 to go towards the burial of your loved ones. We would like to present this check to you and your family. If I'm in the church and I'm having trouble keeping a roof over my head like they just said earlier, if I'm in the church and I'm having trouble day to day and they said that earlier, if I'm in the church and I just donated money while thinking, should I reach in here and get change out? Because I just put in a 20 and I only wanted to put in six. But they didn't have a $6 bill. I'm contemplating whether or not to put change out. But people keep looking at me and I'm slowing down the line. First of all, it's fucked up. And I don't know if white churches do this. Let me know. But black churches will make you stand up. Each pew will make you stand up and walk to the front of the church to put offering into the offering plate, to put donation into the donation plate. And they make the entire pew stand up. Ushers will stand in front of you and raise their hands so then you stand up and walk past. And people are watching you, both behind you and in the audience, watching you to see if you put money in, even if you ain't got it. Even if you ain't got the money, you still put it in. So the black church that I went to would make them do this with tithes and offering. And so we did our tithes and offering online. Because you could like we just sent the check to the church because why not? And so when we will walk past that front part, we didn't have the money. So I'd always pat my pockets and now like I was putting something in. I started putting in receipts, just a receipt for the, you know, the thing that I did online. But if you don't have the money and you're walking around the front of the church and you're forced to put money into this basket because a pastor's looking at you and they're playing take me to the king over and over again. And the mom is sitting here bawling her fucking guts out and nanny's over there like, thank you for your help. And everybody behind you is looking at you like you're either slowing down the line when you pat your pockets or else you're looking like you're broke when you don't give or like you're an asshole when you don't give you're gonna feel obligated to give so then when this dude stands up at the end of it why not at the beginning of this when he stands up at the end of this and is like here's a check for thirty thousand dollars i'm standing up can i have my money back can i have my 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 twenty dollar bill back i need that for gas we just talked about this we need this for food can i get my money back and don't be mad at me. And don't feel bad for me. Just give me my fucking cash. Run the money. Alani bent over, her head falling between her knees as Nanny rubbed her back gently. She had never understood the mystery of God. For days, she had stressed about how she would lay her family to rest. And out of nowhere, things had worked out. 
She stood to her feet and hugged the pastor. Why hug the pastor? Hug the funeral home director. The pastor didn't do shit. He handed her the microphone. She was too emotional to speak. She just stood up there, lip quivering, snot leaking, mascara running, as she lowered her head and just let herself cry. was all she could manage before the mothers of the church came and wrapped their arms around her. It's all performative. It is. Mothers will come up and hug. For what it's worth, the mothers of the church are the best people in the whole fucking church. The mothers of the church will come through and hug you. The 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 They will pray over you like the whole nine yards. Rest of them motherfuckers though? Mm-mm. Bet you everybody else comes up around her too because that's just the way it works out. And then they do a group prayer. So the mothers come up and then everybody else stands up and comes to the front and they'll lay a hand on the back of the on the back of the mother's shoulder, you know, because they didn't think of it first, but they want to be a part of it. It was only their support that kept her standing, not because she was naturally weak, but because life had gotten so hard that it had depleted her energy. Nanny escorted her to the pastor's office where Mr. Masters presented her with a check. Who would be this generous? I have to thank them, she said as she covered her mouth with one hand and held on to the check with the other. Thank all of you. Now, I forgot, but reading that just reminded me. I do the best Diana Ross winning an award impersonation in the world. Like the best. You want to hear it? Okay. <clears throat> Pardon me as I fall into character. Give me space as I fall into character. Give me space as I fall into character. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh my God, thank you. I want to thank my friends. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, that's Tina Turner. <clears throat> I can't give away the identity of the man who donated this out of respect for his privacy. We can help you finish arrangements whenever you're ready, Mr. Master said. We're also going to make sure it costs exactly $30,000 after taxes. Now that we know what you got. Alani stood to leave and hugged Nanny. I'm ready now. My baby's been waiting for me for too long. Let's do it right now, she said. You can meet me over at the funeral home, Mr. Master said. Alani nodded as she turned to Nanny. I'll see you at home. I love you, old lady. I got your old lady, Nanny responded with a smile as Alani made her exit. I probably said that wrong. I got your old lady. Alani checked her watch, knowing the next bus is coming soon. She still had to pick up her car. She would need to run the errands and needed to plan two funerals. Normally, Shane would fill her as she stepped onto the city bus. Flint wasn't the public transportation type of city. You had to be down on your knuckles to even consider utilizing the bus. But today, she didn't care. She looked how she felt, and there was no point in front for anyone like she was okay. In fact, Alani wasn't sure if she would ever be okay again, and she just didn't have the energy to put up with Asajj. She dug the change out of the bottom of her purse and paid for her ticket, and then took the first seat she saw. Her head rested against the window as she watched the dilapidated city pass her by. She was tired of Flint. Every day, it was a different story of tragedy. Niggas killing, robbing, raping, scamming. When she was coming up, Flint wasn't so bad. A hype, 
little city where everybody knew everybody. The most you would see was a good, old-fashioned fight after the city school basketball games. It was ruthless. Now. So many things had changed. So many jobs had left. Too many babies deserted and too many crack pipes smoked. It was a lawless place and niggas didn't live by any type of code anymore. Women and children were being killed off every day. Young, black boys gunned down over the most trivial things every single day. Her daughter had been a victim of circumstance and Alani would carry that guilt for the rest of her life. I should have gotten up out of here a long time ago, she thought. She had been so busy chasing behind cream that she had given up on her own dreams. Her potential to contribute something worthy to society had been immeasurable. She had been smart. She could have gone off to college and made something of herself. It had been expected, but loving the wrong man had distracted her and she had become stuck. Her choices had led her here. Her thoughts plagued her all the way to her stop and she shook them off as she hopped off. The bank was right up the block from Ethics Shop, and she had it there first. After cashing the check, cashing it? I guess you're giving the whole 30000 to the, you know, funeral home, but still. Deposit it, and then try and find a better deal, and get an ATM card, and put that in savings, and actually build something up, and cremate your kid. After cashing the check, she hurried to try and catch him before it was closing time. She was eager to pay her debt to him, and even more zealous to see him. She could only imagine what he must think of her. She had damn near prostituted herself to a man right in front of him. What? Oh yeah, she did, right, the whole dick-sucking thing. She had damn near, and then right after that they went to the movies. And she went into CVS and she bought candy like it was nothing. Let me show you how to really get movie snacks. She practically ran down half the block as she rushed to get there. She was wondering when she stepped inside the shop. The clothes sign was in the window and it was empty. But Ethics Range Rover sat in the parking lot. So she knew he was there. Hello, she called out. She peeked into the back office and then out into the bays in the attached garage. Hello, she repeated. She stepped into the garage, her heels clicking against the concrete floor as she tiptoed down each bay, maneuvering around cars until she spotted hers. She walked over to it and found a set of legs hanging beneath it. It was ethic. Even though his upper body was hidden beneath her car, she could feel his presence. There was something about him that felt powerful, kingly, as if he was meant to dominate. She bent down to tap his wheat-colored Timberland boot. He lifted his head slightly to peek at her, and she flattened her lips in a straight line as she waved. Ethic rolled beneath the car and sat up, before pulling a pair of wireless beats from his ears. Hi, was all she could think to say. I've come to settle my debts. She stood to her feet and pulled out a wad of money. I told you, it was on the house, he responded. I mean, it makes sense because if she paid his, if she paid off her debt to him using that money, then she'd just be giving him his own money back. So it really is on the house either way you look at it, but he can't tell her that. His tone was different, less approachable than it had been the first time she had been in his presence. He dusted himself off, wiping his hands on a towel as he stood to his feet. He brushed past her, 
headed back towards the lobby. Let me grab your keys and you can be on your way. She frowned. He was cold. Something had happened. Something had shifted. Oh, okay, she said. What else could she say? She couldn't tell him that the only time in the past week that she had smiled had been in his presence. She couldn't tell him that the hug he had given her had made her feel the safe that she had in years. This man in front of her was all business. He wasn't the caring guy she had gone to the movies with. Maybe he thinks I'm a hoe. He had time to think about what happened at my job. He handed her the keys. Thanks. Have a good night, she said. You too, he replied. It was all so formal, so sterile, like a business exchange, and technically it was, but she wished he would have given her a little bit more of what he had given her the other day. He had poured into her that day. Today, he acted like he didn't even know her. His eyes were full of gray clouds as a storm brewed behind his stare. You know what I hate? I hate the word gray. I hate the word gray because there's two ways to spell it. And I know niggas are spelling it wrong because I know what it said on my color crayon when I was growing up. But they don't know that. G-R-E-Y and G-R-A-Y. I'm sure that there's like an English, like England, like a UK difference in the way that it's spelled. And they probably both mean a color. But I just, for some reason, I attribute one to uh, color and one to T, Earl Grey. But yeah, it's the British version, Grey. So when we keep flipping back and forth, it don't mean nothing, but it means everything to me because we ain't in Britain, nigga. Who you trying to impress? His eyes are full of gray clouds as a storm brewed behind his stare. There was something dark within him and it made him standoffish. She turned to leave, making it all the way to the door before she stalled. She was looking for an excuse to prolong her presence there. You caught me in a desperate place the other day. I don't do that. I've never done that. She had one hand on the door and was facing it as she spoke. She didn't want to turn around to face him because he had to be judging her. That's where this change of mood had come from. He had formed an opinion of her and it wasn't a good one. At least that's what she assumed. You said that before. You don't have to repeat yourself. I, I believe you, Ethic replied. Then why are you treating me like... She didn't know how to finish her sentence. Like... Uh... Like, she was at a loss for words. A customer, he finished. Yes, she shouted. She knew she sounded ridiculous. This man just fixed your car. He was being nice the other day. He ain't responsible for making your life feel less fucked up than it is, she thought. She blew out a deep breath and tucked her hair behind her ear as she closed her eyes. You know what? I'm sorry. I, I don't know what the hell I'm doing right now. Have a good night. She was halfway to the door when she stopped, again, pulling the money out of her bag and turned around to place it on the countertop. I'd rather pay. She stormed off, opening the door, only for Ethel to come up behind her and push it closed. She turned towards him. I have to treat you like a customer, Alani. Because if I don't, I start to wonder what you taste like. Er? Like... Okay, like, first pickup line, like, that's the first thing you come up with? Like, we ain't even to that point yet, dog. Like, 
For real though? Hey, why aren't you talking to me nice the way you did the other night? Because if I don't talk to you like you're nobody, I start wanting to pull your panties to the side and suck your clit. I'm sorry, was I going a little bit too fast? That sounded overzealous. That sounded really overzealous, right? Why aren't you talking to me the way you talked to me the other day? Because if I don't treat you like every other woman on this block, then I'm going to turn you around and bend you over and I'm going to eat your ass like groceries. Where are you going? What? 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 Don't turn around, gray eyes. Like, that is, that's, that's honest. That, that would be the response. I think that's the only response you can give is that's honest. I got to go. His words were so frank and so erotic that it made her quiver. Of course, we live in Ashley's world. And in Ashley's world, that shit works 99% of the time. It works 100% of the time. He was standing so close that she could smell the scent of his sweet breath mixed with his cologne. My mind starts wandering to other shit that men think about when they find a woman they want to conquer. I'm all man, Alani. And since you walked in here the other day with those sad eyes and those painted on jeans, I've been thinking some shit I shouldn't be thinking about you. I have my reasons why I can't take it there. In a perfect world, you would have never walked into the shop. The fucking odds that you came in here on the one day I've been here all month? Ethic stopped and shook his head. His forearm stretched past her head as his hands rested on the door, trapping her in between him and it. It was a prison Alani welcomed. She pulled her bottom lip between her teeth as he stared intensely at her, through her, directly into her soul. Damn, how did he do that? He made her feel something other than devastation. He saw more than the wreckage she had transformed into. This was a feeling she wanted him to provide when she first walked in. You and that lip, he said, noticing. He noticed everything about her. It was how he had known she needed rescuing from her boss the other night. He had noticed. He picked up on things that others didn't take the time to dissect. This mysterious, midnight-colored gangster was intuitive and a beautiful distraction from her real life. She doesn't know he's a gangster. She just thinks he fixes the cars. She doesn't know that he's a shooter. She just thinks that he fixes the Volvo. <laughs> the Volvo. Um... He had switched her focus from her grief with ease, but as soon as he took back his presence, the gift of diversion disappeared with him. That's why she was there, stalling, delaying the moment when she would have to walk out the door. You want me to fuck your pain away, and under different circumstances, I would oblige you, because you're lovely as fuck, but that's not possible. I would just pile more hurt on you. You're not crazy. We had a smooth time the other night. That night was smooth. It felt so smooth. I had a good night. How did you feel about it, Ethic? It was smooth. I would never think to say that to somebody. How was your food? It was great. How was your food? It was smooth.
And I have the voice for it. I can say the shit was smooth because it was. Normally, that will lead to something else. But this, this is a dead end. That's why I'm treating you like a customer. I'm not the man you think I am. I'm not the good guy in your story. He opened the door and stepped aside as he waited for her to exit, but she just stood there looking up at him. Good night, Alani. Alani walked out. She couldn't get inside her car quickly enough. Embarrassed, confused, and rejected, she pulled off into the night. She didn't know why she was angry. She didn't know ethic. They were merely strangers passing through each other's lives, and according to ethic, that's how it would stay. Morgan drew in a sharp breath as she tried to calm her racing heart. She was nervous, and as she waited for the doctor to come inside the room, her mind raced. What if it doesn't work, she thought. Ethic sat across from her. He was so serious as he rested his elbows against his knees, fingers in a steeple under his chin, brows dipped low. He was thinking, probably about all the what-ifs that were haunting Morgan as well. Despite his silence, she was glad he had come. She was grateful he had done the research to even give her the option to correct her hearing in the first place. You don't have to stay, Morgan signed. I mean, there's no point in you waiting while I'm in surgery. Do, do you think it's happening the first day? Like, do you think you're going to walk in, meet the doctor, and walk out with the, with the cochlear implant? Like, this doesn't happen in one day. No surgery happens in one day. They, what? No. Even a vasectomy takes a week? Like, and that's the one that they want to get through the closest, the quickest before these niggas change their mind. Okay. I'm not going anywhere, Ethic signed back. What about Easy and Bella, she asked. They know how important today is for you. They're at home with Lily. They're fine. My focus is you right now, Ethic answered. Are you ready? Before she could answer, her doctor came into the room. Hi, I'm Dr. Hamity. You must be Morgan, and you are Ezra Okafor, Ethic said, as he stuck his hand out for a shake. I'm her family. Nice to meet you, the doctor said as he pulled out a stool and took a seat. And yes, I am going to wonder if Ezra's his real name and Ethic is a nickname, because if Ethic is a nickname, that's even stupider than it being his real name. So your nickname is Ethic. My nigga, like they could have chose a lot of things for you, but they chose Ethic. Nice to meet you, the doctor said as he pulled out a stool and took a seat. Now, I reviewed your medical history, and I think you're a good candidate for this procedure. A cochlear implant will stimulate the dormant nerves inside your inner ear and help you sense sound. I must ask, why haven't you considered this treatment before? You're 18. Your hearing could have been restored years ago. Well, my parents died when I was young, and Ethic raised me. He's always offered me different options to find out if my hearing could be restored, but I never wanted to. I was scared and young. So many of the procedures were new and required a lot of time out of school for therapy. I'm old enough now to decide if this is what I want, she signed. Plus, you know, with her being that old, she has the gift of knowing how to sign because she was part of the deaf culture, the deaf community for so many years, even though there still hasn't been anybody else deaf in this book. So I don't know. But she was with the family that was supportive that uh, learned sign language and taught her sign language. So both her father, Benjamin Atkins, and that family, and 
uh, ethic and his family. So she was fortunate in that. Like two families in a row, that must be some sort of a book. Well, technology has brought us quite far in hearing restoration. The downtime is three to six weeks, and you aren't really down at all, just managing pain. I will not activate the implants till after that time, so you'll still be signing to communicate for a few weeks. How much pain will I be in? Morgan signed. Nothing a prescription to Tylenol 800 won't alleviate, the doctor assured. I'm going to take great care of you, the doctor promised. I'm going to get the nurse in here to prep you for surgery, measure your ears, and grab your vitals. They'll give you Xanax to take the anxiety away. I take that back. I did have a surgery that happened the same day. So, I was in a appointment with my doctor, uh, just a regular checkup. I don't even remember what it was for. And I was like, I have this mole on my wrist, and it hurts every so often, and it won't go away. And he was like, okay, cool. And he had me sign a paper and he got some dry ice spray and he sprayed it on the, uh, on the mole. And then it just kind of popped off. And that was the surgery I got in one day. The end. Also, that shit hurt for like another two weeks while it healed up because I just ripped something off my wrist. And that shit was not cool. The end part two, electric boogaloo. They'll give you the Xanax to take the anxiety away. It'll probably make you groggy. You won't even realize you're going into surgery in the morning. It's the good stuff, the doctor signed with a wink. You'll spend the night here, and in the morning, we'll change your life. How does that sound? Long overdue, she signed. The doctor left the room as two nurses came in carrying a hospital gown, a small pill, and a cup of water. She placed the pill on her tongue and swallowed it down quickly and took the gown into the adjoining bathroom. She changed quickly and made herself comfortable under the covers before turning to ethic thank you she signed i love you mo ethic signed back his phone vibrated on his hip and he looked down noticing a notification from messiah's text message messiah 911 ethic knew messiah wouldn't even hit his line unless it was necessary ethic's fingers quickly typed the reply ethic i'm at hurley can't leave pull up room 714 Ethic looked over at Morgan, who had closed her eyes. He hoped he was making the right decision regarding her. He hoped she knew that he had done the best he could to care for her over the years. He didn't know what had motivated the sudden change in her desire to go through with the surgery, but he would support her through it all. Within the hour, Messiah was knocking on the door. Ethic stood and opened the door to step into the hallway. Messiah caught a glimpse of Morgan sleeping inside the room and his stomach dropped. He froze as Worry seized him. Everything good? He asked. Ethic squeezed the bridge of his nose, you know, to gather his thoughts. As he replied, she's having surgery in the morning to restore her hearing. Well, you can't restore it because you never had it. Messiah's gut twisted in concern. He wanted to ask more questions, but to show too much interest would be disrespectful. Damn, was all he could manage. What's the emergency? Ethic asked. A nigga named Cream put word out that he's got bread on whoever hit Lucas and the little girl. He's her father, and he's on lockup north. Rumor has it, he's coming home soon, and the nigga ain't happy, Messiah informed. Cream who? Ethic dug. Cream Richardson. Niggas from around the way call him Killer Cream. <laughs> Killer Cream! You know what, ladies?
that's that's all y'all. That's all you. I will leave y'all to formulate your own nicknames from that. Killer Cream. White women, you can take that one too, but just know a black person came up with it, so you will be appropriating. Niggas from around the way call him Killer Cream. Some corny shit about him leaving niggas circled in chalk. He's from Merrill Hood. He was getting a little money when he was out. Nothing major, but I heard he's solid. He got a couple bodies on him, but he ain't go down for that. He caught a bullshit charge. He talking big, though. You know how I want to handle it. Give a nigga his wings as soon as he gets his freedom, Messiah whispered in a low tone. Ethic, immediately, thought of Alani. She had buried enough people. He didn't want to be responsible for putting her child's father in the ground, too. Let the nigga breathe. For now, Ethic stated. Messiah nodded and backpedaled from the room. You said it. That's law, Messiah replied. Yo, was she good? Messiah couldn't help but ask. He had resisted the urge to text her after the debacle that happened at the restaurant. He wanted to explain. He wanted to tell her that Niche was nothing to him. But he couldn't. Because then he would have to admit that Morgan was somebody to him. He couldn't cross that line. Ethic looked back, peering inside the glass rectangle on the door. She will be, Ethic stated. Keep your ears to the street and let me know if shit gets tense. Morgan's eyes fluttered open and she tried to fight the haze that the anesthesia had her captured under. Her entire body was freezing and she shivered as she closed her eyes once more, giving into the wonderful feeling that kept pulling her into dreamland. She opened them again and noticed Bella first, then easy and ethic. She could feel the implants beneath the skin behind her ears and it felt odd, heavy. She wondered if they were noticeable. Morgan was floating and so out of it that she couldn't do anything but lay her head back. She felt Ethic's hand on hers and she gave him a small squeeze before slipping back into a deep sleep. Ethic turned to the door as Dr. Hammity walked in. She'll be out of it for a while, but you could take her home as soon as she wakes up fully and is aware of her surroundings. She did well. The nerves responded beautifully to the implants. In a few weeks, she can come in and we'll activate them and witness technology at work as she hears your voices for the first time. Ethic shook the man's hand and felt a weight lift from his chest as tears clouded his eyes. There was only one person he could share this with. Grab your jackets, guys. Let's roll. I'm going to drop you at home with Miss Lily. But we want to stay, Bella informed. It'll be hours before Mo wakes up. You guys have school tomorrow, Ethic said. Don't worry, she'll be home soon, Ethic said. He escorted his children to his truck and quickly dropped them off at home with his nanny. Not the grandma. He had somewhere he needed to be, and he couldn't get there fast enough. Does he know the way to Alani's house? Like, does Alani even know her? Or is he going to Dolce's house? Mm. It was a beautiful day. Oh, he's going over to Raven's grave. Okay. It was a beautiful day. The sky was like sapphires, blue and clear with beautiful billowy white clouds floating by. The wind blew gently, kissing Alani's face and the birds chirped a jovial tune. It looked like a scene out of a fairy tale, as if someone had illustrated a page out of the happiest storybook in the world. It was too much of a pretty day for the task at hand. Alani was burying two people that she loved today. On the inside, there was a storm plaguing her. Alani stood in front of two caskets, her high heels sinking into the green grass as the pastor gave a short sermon. I just got to say this real quick. 
first of all, if anybody in my family dies, I'm really pressing to get them cremated. Like, I probably wouldn't get the opportunity to get my wife cremated because her mom and dad have a say in that. But anybody else, I'm really trying to get them cremated. But here's the thing. Here's a serious thing that I was going to say. I mean, I'm serious about that, too. But here's the thing. If somebody I know dies in the summer here in California... I might be rocking basketball shorts to a funeral. Like, I'm not trying to wear black pants and a, and a long sleeve shirt and all that shit in the summer here. First of all, I don't do funerals, but if it's somebody I have to go to the funeral for. Mm. Hey, why he's so stylishly dressed? Because it's hot out here. Why is he drinking a Slurpee? Because it's hot out here. Like, just don't take pictures of me. I'll be in the back with a Slurpee and shorts looking quite comfy because that's how we do. That's how I would do. Alani stood in front of the two caskets, her high heels sinking into the green grass as a pastor gave a short sermon. Yeah, yeah, right. She had chosen to eulogize her brother and daughter outside at the gravesite because she wasn't sure if she could survive a full service in the church. She was numb as she stood there. She couldn't even cry anymore. She couldn't release one more tear because she had cried them all out. No, she's not going to cry. She's not going to cry. She's not going to shed a tear. She felt like she was standing there outside of herself, having an outer body experience, not an out of body experience, just an outer body experience, like the skin. Tips of your fingers. Spirit fingers. <laughs> when somebody who's dead, a ghost weighs their hands as spirit fingers. Sorry. <clears throat> Having an outer body experience as everyone around her broke down. She couldn't tear her eyes away from Kenzie. She was so pretty, just lying there as if she was only asleep. It felt like it was a sin to put something so pretty in the dirt. It was hard for her to terrorize away from her angel, but when she saw the police car pull up and a handcuffed cream exit from the back of the vehicle, she wanted desperately to see him. He was the only person present who could understand what she was going through. Two officers escorted him over to the ceremony, and Alani stepped up to the casket, meeting him there. She gripped the edge of the metal box, and he placed a shackled hand over hers. I'm going to handle it, he whispered. He leaned and kissed the side of Alani's head, inhaling her scent. She let him, because she knew it brought him comfort. Who was she to deprive him of comfort on such a hard day? She wished it was as easy for her to attain. No touching, the officers behind them reminded. Alani leaned down over the casket and kissed her daughter's forehead. Okay, so wait, her daughter's three. Alani's three. Or not Alani, uh, Kenzie is three. Lucas, we don't know how old he is. I figure it's like 26 because, you know, Messiah's 25, 26. There's no way their caskets both cost the same amount, right? There's no way it all equaled up to $30,000, right? Like, they are literally just preying on the grief of a woman who lost her baby baby. Like, right? Like, there's no way you can tell me that a casket for a three-year-old. A three-year-old is about two and a half feet tall. There's no way it took as much time and, and effort and, and, and materials to build a casket for a three-year-old as it does for a 26-year-old. And I know it's a dark thing to think about, but I mean, when you really think about it, y'all fucking these niggas in the ass with no lube and a smile on your face and giving them tea. Her skin felt cold, 
clammy like clay. Okay, let's let's just keep going. Her skin felt cold, clammy, like clay. Like an object that had never breathed and lived and laughed before. The color of her cinnamon skin was faded and dingy, like a trifling mama had washed the color clothes on hot. This little body was not her little girl. This sight of death in front of her tore her up inside. I love you, baby. Mommy loved you so much. I spoke to a lawyer. I'm out of here in six months on good behavior. When I touch down, niggas gonna answer for this, he whispered. That's my word. He snipped away a tear and snuck one last kiss, planting this one on her cheek before he was escorted away. The cops didn't hear none of that? Hey, I'm out of here on good behavior. Shh, shh, shh. The cops were right behind you, my nigga. Like, literally, they, they are standing on each side of you to make sure you don't run. I don't care about them. Look, so check it out. I got a lawyer. And he's going to let me out because I've been good in jail. And as soon as I get out of jail, I'm going right the fuck back in because I'm going to murder somebody to death. Rest in peace, sweetheart. I'm going to miss you so much. Kiss, 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 kiss. When the pastor lowered the lid to the casket, her numbness melted away and her emotions were so crippling that she couldn't stand. She sat in the front row, sobbing, her head buried in her hands until it was over. As everyone walked away, she sat there. Don't nobody give a fuck about Lucas, huh? Like, he just stood over her casket like, This is the person that we are concerned about today. Baby, we gots to go. People expect to see you at the repass, Nanny said. I, I can't leave her. Just go ahead of me. I need a moment alone with her. I can meet you back at the church, Alani said. Okay, baby, Nanny replied sorrowfully before walking away. Ethic walk for I, I called it I called it and I called it Like I called both of them Ethic walked through the cemetery So when she Got her cochlear implant I thought that was like The day after Like they didn't indicate what day it was It just felt like the day after he had given her her car Everything seems to be set up really quick And this whole thing is like such a coincidence It's kind of like I, I don't know off the top of my head, when uh, young Carter was at a funeral for his brother, I think, I think that was for his brother, Money, who wasn't really dead, but for his brother, and uh, Mia Moore was at the graveyard talking to her sister and that's how they met back up because she didn't give her she didn't give him her number. That's yeah, a whole little thing. Ethic walked through the cemetery carrying fresh long stem roses as he searched for Raven's grave. He sat down in the grass as he placed a bouquet on her headstone. I miss you, Ma, he whispered, as he bent his knees, resting his elbows on top of him as he clasped his hands together. He bowed his head as his eyes burned. He felt her loss all over again, each time he visited. He had thought wounds healed over time, but this type never stopped bleeding. The same sharp pain dwelled within his chest every day, never letting up. Mo was going to hear. After all this time, she's going to be able to speak and hear and laugh. She's going to be all right. I know you wanted that for her. Your wants are my wants, love. 
I've tried to do right by her, by you. I wish you could see her. She's beautiful. She looks like you, and you shine through easy so brightly that I forget he never got to know you. Even Bella still remembers you. She prays for you every night. She likes to think you and her mother are friends and are watching out for her. We're just floating down here, Ray. We all float down here. It's hard without you to keep us grounded, to build a home with, a life with. I'm lost, Raven. He stood and sniffed away the tears that never fell. The sound of crying caught his attention, and he looked around. All he saw were tombstones, but the cries were too real to ignore. You mean to tell me that there's nobody else there but you and Alani in a graveyard where people are visiting people every day, B? Like I said, niggas die every day, B. So you're telling me that that, that, that graveyard is empty except for y'all? That's crazy. That's wild. I don't believe it. He walked towards the sound, and what he discovered tore his heart out of his chest. Alani laid, curled in a fetal position, beside the hole where her daughter's casket rested. It was still uncovered. The dirt hadn't even been thrown over it yet, and Alani refused to move. He felt like he had intruded in on a private moment, but he had seen her now. He couldn't leave her, not like this. He bent down and scooped her up effortlessly in his arms. She had been lying there all day, unable to move, unable to go. You missed the repast, baby. I made you a plate. Swing low. I can't leave her, she whispered. They haven't even come to cover her yet. Where are they? She was irrational, panicked and distraught. Please don't leave her in a wide open hole. She's my baby. She might get cold. Okay, okay, he whispered. Alani had lost it. But he understood that grief wrote a fine line between crazy and sane. He set her down in one of the white wooden folding chairs that was left over from the service. And he removed his jacket and his diamond chains. A motion cut at him as he grabbed the shovel that sat propped in the pile of dirt. He was literally about to bury the little girl he had been responsible for killing. And it tore away at his conscience as he began to scoop dirt onto the grave. His arms burned as he grunted while gritting his teeth, every muscle in his body bulging as he filled the grave with dirt. Alani sat, watching, silent tears melting the makeup from her face as she dug her nails into her knees. Hours passed, and Ethic was covered in sweat and filth by the time he finished. He bent down over the now smooth dirt, and place one hand on top of it. God bless her soul and have mercy on mine, he whispered so only he could hear. Alani stood as he approached her. Can you hug me? She choked out the words, her chest jerking as her lip quivered uncontrollably. Like you did the other day. Please, she begged. He obliged. He wrapped her in his arms so tightly that she felt his heart racing as they stood chest to chest. I can't say I'm sorry enough, he whispered. The sorrow of this woman was beautiful. Witnessing her immense grief was like watching a tragic opera, wrenching his heart and captivating him simultaneously. I can feel it. 
all over me when you hold me, she whimpered. Just don't let go. Fuck, Ethic thought as he rested his chin on top of her head. Women like Alani were his weakness, damaged, genuine, and beautiful. He didn't know why he attracted the same type. So what was Dolce? Perhaps because he had never successfully saved any of the ones he had lost. This woman's chaos was caused by him, which meant he couldn't have her, despite her need for him. They broke their embrace when the sprinklers came on, soaking them with water. You mean them niggas really never came around to see if, you know, hey, y'all supposed to do a job here. Y'all never came back to bury this little girl to like, to like replace the, the dirt like nothing? Like the, 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 the bulldozer was still sitting there with the dirt? Not anymore, because, you know, he did all the work, but y'all need to be fired, fired. Alani squealed as Ethic reached for his belongings and then made the trek across the grass to his truck. When they were out of the spray zone, Alani asked, How did you know I was here? I was here visiting. I heard you crying. I couldn't just leave you, he answered. Alani looked at him, curiously. His type of manhood was an endangered species. She appreciated the pieces of his time he allowed her to spend with him. Thank you, Ethic, she said. She backpedaled. I, I wouldn't mind if you called me sometime. Maybe we could get coffee and you could tell me about who you were here to see. My number's on the paperwork at your shop. She paused as she stared at him, wondering how this man she barely knew brought so much comfort to her wounded soul. Okay, bye. He nodded as he watched her walk towards her car, knowing he would never call. He didn't move until she drove away. He would have to keep his distance from her, because seeing her face reminded him of the monster that dwelled in the pits of him. Hustling it hardened him, had made murder just another day's work. That type of man was incapable of remorse, and that type of man was one that karma couldn't wait to meet. He never wanted his children to reap what he had sown, which is why he had walked away from the streets. Reacting to Lucas had pulled him back to a place where a father didn't belong, and he hoped he didn't lose everything he had built because of it. 916-633-1537, wretched and ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Spotify, it takes like 13 seconds. You can also leave a review on uh, Podchaser, copy and paste that into Apple Podcasts, and then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. One dollar will get you a ton of content. Uh, you can also donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This 
this single simulcast.